I'm Hannah Young from the British Consulate in New York, and you're listening to Brits in the Big Apple. Colin Blunstone is a singer, songwriter and musician with a career spanning more than 50 years in the music industry. He was the lead singer of the British band The Zombies, who became famous on both sides of the pond, initially in 1964 with She's Not There, and then with a number of further hits, including Tell Her No and Time of the Season. Their 1968 album, Odyssey and Oracle, is ranked number 100 on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And the Zombies were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2019. Colin has also had a hugely successful solo career and is known for his participation on various other artists' albums, including the Alan Parsons Project's Old and Wise single, which became famous with Colin's vocals. He continues to tour in the US and UK, both as a solo artist and with the Zombies, and the band are gearing up for another UK tour next year. Colin, welcome to Brits in the Big Apple. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Uh, I wonder if you could start by telling us a bit about your career journey and how you became to be in the music industry. Well, I think really almost by chance. Uh, it was a, a school introduction. Uh, the guy who sat next to me at school was forming a band with someone I'd, I'd never met. And it was a very brief conversation. He just said to me, you've got a guitar, haven't you? And I said, I have actually, yes. And he said, uh, would you like to be in a band? And that was my audition for the Zombies. And that's how I got the gig. And we met in Easter 1961 outside the Blacksmith's Arms in St. Albans, which I think you know quite well. And um, we had our first rehearsal. And I started off as the rhythm guitarist. And then I think I was, over a period of time, I was demoted into being the singer uh, of the band. But I, I had no aspirations to be a singer when we first got together. It's more that my guitar playing was, was a little challenged. And so they, they very kindly moved me one seat over and I became the lead singer. Wow, that's amazing. And um, uh, great shout out to St. Albans. Uh, it's a wonderful part of the world. Um, Isn't it brilliant? Um, I, I love St. Albans, yes. Uh, and um, how long ago was that? But it was Easter 1961. And okay. And we just played locally and we gradually built up a local following. And I think that one of the things we did, we got to play in local rugby clubs and they'd never had rock and roll. In, I think rugby clubs weren't really interested in rock and roll at that time. They were interested in uh, drinking lots of beer and singing rather rude songs in very loud voices. But uh, I managed to get them into a rugby club, get us into a rugby club called the Old Verilaniums. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Mm. And, and, um, and then later on, we played at the Old Albanians as well. And we really started to build up a local following. And at that time, we also won a big rock and roll competition, which led to a record contract with Decca. And at that first session, we recorded She's Not There, which went on to be number one in Cashbox in America. And I think it was number two or number three in Billboard. So we were still basically schoolboys when we made that record. And of course, being number one in Cashbox, that led to our first trip to New York. That's amazing. Um, and, and when you uh, got the number one hit, was that the point at which you 
thought, gosh, we're onto something here? Or was it actually a gradual realization that actually you were a really big band with a big following? I, I think it was a gradual realization, particularly when we won this very big, you could say local competition, but really people came from all over the country and no one was more surprised than us that we won it. I, I, I remember thinking that night, you know, maybe there's something in this, maybe we've got something. And as I said, it led directly to uh, a recording session at Decca Studios. And on that session, we recorded what was to become a number one hit record. But before we had that, hit record we'd already decided that we were going to become a professional band and buy an old van I mean there was no master plan we were going to buy a terrible old van which we did and just travel around and see if we could get gigs you know, anywhere and um, the, the plan was slightly altered when we we weren't expecting this hit record when we had the hit record suddenly we still traveled in the old van but we were we were on quite big tours. Our first tour was with the Searchers and Dion Warwick and the Isley Brothers. So we went from Old Verlinum's Rugby Club to playing with Dion Warwick and the Isley Brothers. It was it was an amazing jump, just over a, just over a few weeks. Oh my gosh! But when you're young, you accept these things. I, I you know. If, if I was to try and do that at my age now, I think it, <laughs> I'd have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> oh, I love the fact that you brought the van with you as well. That's fantastic. Oh, yes. It was a tragic van, a tragic. It would only go 54 miles an hour downhill with the wind. And if you take into account that there were no motorways in the hardly, there was a little bit of the M1, a little bit of the M6. It took us all day to get anywhere. It had sliding doors on it, which always came off the runners. So it was freezing. And we, this is the glamour of rock and roll. We always traveled in sleeping bags, completely zipped up in a sleeping bag. If we were in a crash, we could have never got out because we were, we were zipped into our sleeping bags because it was so cold. It was so cold. Uh, wow. Oh, the, the glamour of the old days. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. Wow. What an insight. Um, and tell us about um, tell us about New York and can you remember your first trip to New York? Oh, I remember it. I remember it vividly. Um, we were so excited, you see, because for any English musician, America is the home of rock and roll. It's the home of jazz. It's the home of the blues. All English musicians want to come to America. And we arrived in New York Christmas 1964. And we actually had the number one record when we arrived and we were going to play the Murray the K show at the Brooklyn Fox. And I mean, just a little side issue, because we were very young, we'd been playing at some other gigs before we got to Heathrow to fly to New York. And my mother and father came to see me off. And my mother gave me a packed lunch for the plane. And um, I, I don't think she thought that they fed you on the plane. <laughs> And with a packed lunch, she gave me an apple to, you know, to be healthy and have an apple. Yeah. Well, I only mentioned this because when we got off the plane at the other side and we're going through the, uh, the, the people going, you know, coming into the country, you're not supposed to bring fruit into the country. So um, this, is my, this is my first experience with officialdom in New York was the guy opened my bag 
and saw the apple that my mother had given me and he took it out and he ate it in front of me. I thought, steady on, mate. What's going on here? <laughs> so that was the first thing. And then the next guy from immigration, and remember, I'd never seen a gun before in my life, and he had a gun on his hip. And he said, uh, uh, you, you come with me. And I thought, I thought, you know, he's, he's going to shoot me or something along those lines. Anyway, he walked me off to a little... Uh, telephone kiosk there were no mobiles in those days and we went into the telephone kiosk and he phoned his wife to get hold of his daughter so that I would say hello you know I thought he was going to kill me but actually he just wanted me to say hello to his daughter so that was as we arrived into New York and then we were met by three Cadillac limousines to drive to the hotel and then the next day we got the bill for the three limousines. <laughs> I thought we'd finally arrived, but we got, we got the bill the next day. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and we opened on Christmas day at uh, the Brooklyn Fox. Uh, it was the Murray the K show. Murray the K considered himself the, the fifth Beatle. I don't know if the Beatles knew about that, but um, he put on these wonderful shows, sort of like 15 acts that would play all through the day. So it was Dionne Warwick again, the Shangri-Las, the Drifters, the Shirelles, many wow. wonderful acts. And remember, we're still just out of school. And we arrived and we, we played Patti LaBelle. And we used to follow Patti LaBelle every day. We, there were sort of eight shows a day. And we used to, have, she brought the house down. She was wonderful. And then these, five teenagers from St Albans had to shuffle <laughs> on stage and follow after Patti LaBelle but she was she was very very generous and very kind and supportive and uh, it was a wonderful camaraderie backstage at the Brooklyn Fox because everyone was away from home over Christmas and so it was it was really good fun but that was my first trip to New York. Wow that's incredible I love the juxtaposition of some of those names and then the St Albans lads coming to uh, play their gig. Although you were clearly already immensely successful at that point if your customs official was essentially letting you off for border violations because you were um, his daughter's favorite uh, rock star. Obviously there, there were perks in, in <laughs> being in the zombies even then. So uh, it, it, all, it all ended well, it all ended well. Yeah. Yeah. And you've um, obviously been back and forth since uh, uh, on both sides of the pond. Can you give us a sense of how has New York changed over that time or has New York changed? Well, it's funny because I'm not I think New York has changed immensely. But then, of course, I have as well. I, you know, I was only just 19 then. And I'm some way ahead of 19 now. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, it, it, was, it would have been different uh, just because of my age, I think. But I, there was a huge energy, which is still there. But I felt there was an air of danger about New York that was a bit worrying for a, a, you know, a country boy from the UK. And I, I definitely felt that, but I don't feel it now. I think New York feels incredibly safe and the energy that there that's there I think 
an artist can really feed off that energy. I'm sure that a businessman can as well, you know, but for artists, it's wonderful. There's so much happening. And Americans always believe that everything can be done. I mean, you've only got to say to someone, you know, I've got half a song, but I can't seem to finish it. I wonder if there's anyone around him. He'll finish that song for you and, it, and it's done, you know. Um, it, there's a great feeling of anything can be done in New York, I think, that's, that's not really there in London. London is very laid back compared to New York. That's interesting. Um, you've you've obviously been successful in the UK and in the US, um, which isn't necessarily something that all artists can claim. And I just wonder, do you, what is it about your music that you think appeals to both sides of the Atlantic? Well, I think it's, you know, it's difficult to pinpoint things like that. One thing I would say is that we've never been overtly trying to, to make hit records. We've always tried to try to make to write songs and to make records to the best of our ability. And, and you know, there are some people that don't do that. There are some people that are trying to make commercial records. So I would say that that is a difference with us. We try to make the very best music that we possibly can. And we're lucky that we've we've found an audience in America and in the UK. And, and in fact, I mean, the zombies are a bit of a phenomenon, really, because they are quite successful all around the world. And we can work as, as much as we want. This is 50, over 50 years after the band. It's 60 years after the band started. And we can work anywhere in the world. Uh, and and it, it just really surprises me that our music has reached the four corners of the earth. And it's difficult to pinpoint why that is, because sometimes you put out a record that's not successful and you put the same effort into it and you probably mm. were as confident about it as the one that as one that was hugely successful and it's so difficult to pinpoint why some records are successful and some aren't mm. but going back to what i said before i think the important thing is to write the best songs you can uh, that, that fulfill you uh, to you know the most and to make the best records you can and of course you've got to especially nowadays you've got to back it up with good live performances and I think the zombies as a live band are, are pretty good you know that we we usually get incredible mm. reactions when we play and it's just so important whereas years and years ago you could just make records and probably never play live mm. nowadays you have to I was I was going to ask you um, how the music industry has changed over the years since you started as a as a young 19 year old I mean you've talked a bit about that but can you can you give more of a sense of what the what the changes have been over the course of the last 50 years for you well it's almost unrecognizable to be honest and I mean the music business is changing week by week um, of course, the main thing nowadays is, is downloads and streaming as far as the records are concerned. The records don't sell in the numbers that they used to sell. One way I look at it is that in, in the 60s, you would make records and you would play a tour to promote that record. It's almost gone to a reverse now where the important thing is touring and you make a record to promote the tour. It's 
it's gone into complete reverse. Um, also, I think with regard to radio, um, playlists are incredibly tight now, so it can be very difficult to get a record on the radio. I mean, I'm not talking about getting it played once, I mean, getting it played consistently, mm -hmm. consistently, especially if you're a band with our profile, because most radio, top 40 radio, they are looking to artists who are probably under 25. If, if we took our latest record to a top 40 station, they not only wouldn't they play it on air, they, they probably wouldn't listen to it because we don't fit what, what they want to play. And the other thing is that if you go to the gold stations, they will play our old records, but they won't play our new records. So we sort of, as far as radio is concerned, we, we fall down a rather large crack and um, it's quite hard for us to get airplay. So that is a difference for us personally, because obviously when we were younger, we, we would get incredible airplay. But the, the record industry has just changed out of all recognition. And there are areas of it, even though I've been in this business for 60 years, there are areas of it that are a deep mystery to me. And I'm quite happy for it to stay that way, you know? I mean, the pressure's off really. Um, uh, you know, I'm just coming up to 76. I'm absolutely thrilled that we can still play live. We have fun. We, we play in lovely places to great audiences. And I just think we're incredibly lucky. And I'm not going to start questioning charts and airplay. It's, it's too complicated. I'm just happy to be able to get up on stage and play. And I just want to enjoy it for as long as I possibly can. Do you, um, do you ever get frustrated when people want your greatest hits and you want to give them some of your new songs? Do you ever get, do you ever get annoyed having to play She's Not There again? Or actually well, for you, is that just part of being a performer? Well, um, I think I'm very fortunate uh, because um, the songs that we're known for, honestly, they sound as fresh and as relevant now as they did mm. when they were recorded. So I'm really fortunate that when I sing those songs, I, I still enjoy playing them now. But going on from that, I would say that putting a, a set together for a show, is, it's, a, it's very important how you work that set together because there are people in the audience that really want to hear the hits. Mm. And there will be people in the audience who perhaps come and sing this many times who are not so keen on hearing those hits. They want to hear the new songs and how you put that set together to uh, encompass the, the hits as well as the new songs. It's, it's an art, you know, and we, we're very conscious that we need to try and do that in the best way possible. So yeah, we, we play the hits, absolutely. But we'll sneak a few new ones in too. Excellent. I was playing my daughter some of your hits last night. She's only seven, but she was humming them this morning <laughs> on the way to school. So I can testify they really are evergreen. Oh, uh, good. That's fantastic. Hopefully we've got a new fan. That's fantastic. <laughs> Um, what was it like being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I mean, that's such a seminal moment for you guys. Can you absolutely. tell us how that felt? It's absolutely phenomenal. Um, first of all, I could hardly believe it was happening. And then we go to um, the Barclay Centre in Brooklyn, which is a huge auditorium. And we played to 17,000 people. 
And um, when I say that, and on the in front of us were the, the great and the good of the music industry. So although it's a huge audience, it's a slightly more complicated thing than that, that you recognize a lot of these stars who are right in front of you. And it was a phenomenal experience. And there were wonderful artists there, Janet Jackson, Radiohead, uh, Roxy Music, um, Def Leppard, um, just wonderful artists. It was a great show and it's something I'll, I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. and, and we all had family and friends with us so we could share it with our, with our family and, and our friends. It, it was absolutely wonderful. The only slightly frustrating thing is, I know that it's hugely prestigious in America and it is prestigious in the UK, but not on the same level. And I sometimes get a bit frustrated I, I don't talk about the music business that much socially, but uh, if the subject comes up, I can get a bit frustrated that people in the UK don't quite understand how prestigious uh, an occasion it is. Um, but that's fine. I, I can live with that because we, we, we had that special moment, that special evening. I will never forget it. It was absolutely wonderful. And it's such a great recognition of your life's work, really, because it's not like having a hit record. It, the people that get inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame have had to have some kind of career. You know, I think that the rules are you had to have had a record released at least 20 years ago or something like that. <clears throat> and of course, you've got to have been a consistent performer. Um, over the years and it, it was just a wonderful evening and a great a great privilege to be involved in it that's amazing and it very much puts you in there at the center of being a musical you know the musical heroes that you are for so many people who who were your musical heroes or your musical influences when you were growing up well um when my very first interest in rock and roll were the, what I think of as the rock and roll great. So it would be Elvis, Little Richard and Chuck Berry, probably in the first place. And so they were they were recording in the late 50s and they were definitely my early heroes. Later on, Buddy Holly, Ricky Nelson. And then, of course, there's a huge explosion when the Beatles arrived and everything changed. And... Um, I just thought they were sensational, the, the Beatles. And what they did was they opened the door for all other British musicians to play around the world. Before the Beatles, there was not a great interest in British musicians around the world. After the Beatles, everybody wanted to hear British bands. And of course, the Zombies came along at just the right time. So we were traveling, even as young boys, we were traveling all around the world and playing and that would not have happened without the Beatles. That's really interesting. Um, um, and finally, just uh, tell us what's next. You've recently done a collaboration with Chelsea Football Club, I see. Uh, <laughs> they uh, promote their new kit, which uh, right. looks really, uh, really exciting and very cool. Um, yeah. Tell us about that and, and what's next for, um, for, for you, Colin, and for the zombies. Well, um, the, with, with, with regard to the Chelsea situation, they chose Time of the Season, one of our records, yeah. as the music for their new online 
presence where they're talking about this, the new kit. Now, their online presence it goes out to 120 million people. It's a huge thing. And they're using a zombie tune. And as, as a dialogue developed, it became apparent that the Chelsea people realized that with my name, Blundstone, there's an old Chelsea player who played in 1955 when Chelsea won the first, the old first division, which is the top division in the country. Um, he played outside left for Chelsea and he's, he's a sort of a cousin of mine. And as that sort of developed, they said, well, we'd like a, a photo of you in a Chelsea shirt, or we'd like to do an interview with you. And it was great because I'm a huge Chelsea fan. And so uh, I, was, uh, I was interviewed yesterday for, for the Chelsea, online situation and i've sent some they sent very kindly sent me one of the new chelsea shirts which is lovely i mean i'd recommend everyone to go out and get one and uh, so i i got a chelsea shirt and i've had some pictures taking it which i'm very proud of and uh, so so that came out of the blue and it, it was really fabulous for us we're going to do one of these online shows from um uh, from Abbey Road, from Studio Two, which is the studio that the Beatles used all the time. So we're going there in September, and then that will be broadcast all around the world. So that's very exciting. Um, we're not going to play live until next year, 2022, when I, I think our first uh, tour actually is coming to America, and hopefully we'll, we'll come to New York and uh, spend some time in that wonderful city. That's amazing. Colin Blundstone, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on Brits and the Big Apple. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great talking to you. You're listening to Brits in the Big Apple, brought to you by the British Consulate in New York. If you'd like to hear more about the work of the British Consulate, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at UK in New York. Thank you for listening.